pits everywhere. <laughs> That's something the others didn't have. Radio Drome. It's another Thursday for Radio Drome, starring Josh Hadley, as well as Cecil the Robot. You're not just T-Robot, the Robot. Yes, I gained an H-E. Ha! And then we have Alex, not quite a monkey, maybe not a Japanese rat, Jowski. It is Gohan, okay? It's Gohan. I don't know what that is. It looks like a rat with a monkey tail. It's a little boy. Just do the Adam and Eve promo. Go to adamandeve.com. Use the promo code DROME. You get 50% off a single item. Free shipping in the United States. Three free DVDs. And a free mystery gift. You kind of totally brain farted there, didn't you? Yeah. Well, tonight I want to talk about... You guys have seen the picture. You guys know what an Ouroboros is, right? The snake eating its own tail. I thought you were talking about the Northern Lights. (laughs) Damn it, I was going to go with that. You bastards. <laughs> That's Aurora Borealis. Aurora These things are Borealis. quite different. And Ouroboros <laughs> is spelled and pronounced differently. You're an Aurora Boris. You're an Aurora Boris. <laughs> you're it's gonna, it's you're Aurora. a new insult now. Aurora Boris. <laughs> Aurora Boris. What I wanted to talk about was because of like the Aurora Boris image, how Hollywood is kind of feeding on itself to to a, a strange de- degree of unoriginality. Obviously, this will tie into remakes, but also how everything in Hollywood seems to be based off something else in Hollywood. It doesn't seem like they're making anything original anymore. For instance, I'm looking at the top movies of 2013, and I'm looking at based on a book, based on a book, based on a play, based on a book, based on a comic, based on a true story, based on a book, based on a true story, based on a true story, based on a book, based on a book, based on a comic. There doesn't seem to be anything original coming out like, hey, this is my new idea. It's not based on a previous property. It's not based on a book, not based on a comic, not based on a TV show or a toy line or a video game. Is Hollywood so bereft of ideas that they can't make movies anymore unless it's already been done in some other medium? I'm going to agree with you that for the most part, yeah, Hollywood is kind of like that. There's not as many original things out there anymore. We are just reliving everything we've already done. It's a shame because, like, I actually like that a lot of things are being adapted to film, but there is an overload of it at this point. Really, the only original stuff that's coming, I shouldn't say only, but the majority of things that are original are the independent films. They're the only ones that are allowed to take risks. And so whenever you see or hear a movie where you're like, wow, that was really unique and it was cool and, you know, it wasn't based on a book, TV show, you know, whatever. And nine times out of ten, it's an independent film. Well, do you think that this is a dearth of something new or do you think this is just the over-application of something that's been around for a long time because they're, they've always been adapting things and remaking things and making you know TV shows into movies and movies into TV shows and comic books and all this stuff. Do you think we're just noticing it more because there's more, quote, blockbusters now that do this? Or do you think it's actually getting worse? 
Oh, I think it's totally getting worse. We're at the point now where the only movies that they really want to invest in are properties that, you know, they know have some sort of foundation, something to follow up on. And the weird thing is that, you know, in order for you to have a franchise, there has to be a number one in there somewhere. So there's so many things where, you know, they're on like the eighth or ninth film and it's like, well, you wouldn't be on the eighth or ninth film if you never did that first one. Like how many really great, cool ideas are getting passed by so that they can make, you know, uh, The Hangover 3 or... Well, uh, I, I think a perfect example is how Hollywood scriptwriters have come out recently and said, you know what, I was sent them, they liked my script, but they wanted the ending changed because it was too closed off. There was no franchise potential if I kill the main character, even though that had to happen for the story to work. That everything has to have a franchise now. You can't just make a movie in Hollywood. There has to be the beginning of a dozen movies. They're taking existing original ideas and adapting them into something else, like what we talked about with the Hellraiser movies. They took was it four or five other films that could have been good horror films on their own and shoehorn them into Hellraiser so that they could keep that franchise going. So it's it's silly and it's ridiculous and yeah, it's getting way worse. They don't even adapt books nowadays unless that book already has sequel books. The Hunger Games is a surprise bestseller that came with its own built-in sequels franchise. Well, I actually want to talk about books a little bit more down the line, but right now what about when you make a franchise out of something long after it was not a franchise? For instance, Easy Rider, The Ride Back, recently came out. Okay, the original Easy Rider was, what, 68, 69 that it came out? Let's make a sequel in 2014 by people who don't care. The, the lawyer who fought, he sued to get the rights to Easy Rider, said the company that had it, was, quote, not doing anything with this franchise. What franchise? It was one movie 40-plus years ago. What franchise was were they not doing anything with? Oh, and if he could get away with saying that, there's so many sequels we could make now because, well, they're not doing anything with the franchise. Come on. They didn't do anything with the Jerry Maguire franchise. Let's do it. Let's have a mindfuck movie about the end of One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Let's go inside his mind after the lobotomy, man. There, there's I franchise to... potential here, man. They're not doing anything with the franchise. This movie totally slipped under my radar. It was made in 2012. And Jeff, he somehow got Jeff Fahey to star in this, too. I like Jeff uh, Fahey. Yeah, Jeff Fahey has starred in some shit, though. It's also a very independent film, so it was probably just somebody's idea of like, I'm going to have fun with this. Obviously, it wasn't a Hollywood thing. It's probably some quirky little thing to, to check out and go, yeah, that sucked. Easy Rider the Ride Back is both a sequel and a prequel, as it gives the backstory, because did you need to know how Captain America got his motorcycle? Now you know. So it's a sequel and a prequel, which is kind of irritating on multiple levels to do that this far down the line, I think. And more than likely, it probably completely sucks. Something like that, I think, is silly. I don't understand why they would want to follow up on a film that absolutely really doesn't need a prequel, sequel. Like, take take a movie that there was supposed to be sequels, but never happened. I know you probably won't agree with me. 
and I, but it would cost more. But continue with I am number four. Like there, they you're had, right. I, you're right. I disagree with you. I know, but but what I'm saying is that there are properties out there that okay maybe the first movie didn't do as well as you'd hoped i want the further adventures of ford fairlane damn it oh god what i wouldn't give ford like you know now now he's in his 50s and oh that would just be fantastic it's one of my favorite movies but follow up on stuff that makes sense not something like that that that's idiotic why like no one was clamoring for a sequel to easy rider it, it it's just ridiculous. Uh, I mean, hey, going on the Jeff Fahey thing, how about a sequel to Body Parts? I, I'd be all over that. Or maybe a, a third Lawnmower Man. Yeah, they're not doing anything with that franchise. And that actually is a franchise. Well, th- okay, but, th- but then we have to redefine franchise. Is two movies a franchise, or yes. is that just a movie and its sequel? For instance, like Waxwork. They are trying to make, they keep going back and forth, either a remake of Waxwork or Waxworks 3. There's two. The first one was good. The second one was not. There's not a whole lot of potential in the Waxwork franchise, is there? Yet they keep talking about how we got to do something with this. You know, we got the rights. We might as well, right? A franchise is a brand. It's the same way like McDonald's can have a franchise because it's a brand of product and like all the movies that are in a series they all have that brand like take paranormal activity it has its sequels but it also has paranormal activity the marked ones it's it's branded it's part of the franchise scanner the scanner cop movies are part of the scanners franchise while also kind of being their own thing and a franchise extending you know is more than just the movie It's anything that can have the brand. Like, Star Wars was a franchise long before there was Empire Strikes Back because there was Star Wars stuff everywhere with the brand on it. There was the novels and the comic books and the newspaper strip, and yeah. Yeah, there was the toys, you know, there was all this stuff that had the brand, the franchise. Well, then do you think that that kind of thing dilutes... Say it's just one movie at this point. Say, you know, you don't have sequel movies, but then you've got the prequel book that comes out and then you've got the continuing adventures comic book and then you've got the video game which maybe tells part of the story does that dilute the movie or is that just using the quote franchise to its fullest potential it's exploiting the franchise in some cases like oh god the way that the the aliens have gone lately lately yeah I, I, i know I'm kind of on the fence with the aliens and Predator stuff because I like a lot of the novels. I like a lot of the original novels quite a bit. Did they need to exist? No, but I was very glad that they did because at that time, look at like the Aliens franchise. You go seven years between the first and second movie, and then you go another seven years between the second and third. There was a you know, nowadays you're making a sequel every year or two to, to some of these franchises. You needed something to fill the gaps. So I don't know if I just shot myself in the foot with that argument or well, not, but yeah, I but liked the Aliens novels. Yeah, well, the gap filling, I mean, with any brand, it's you should be careful what you put your brand on. And what happens a lot is, you know, the video games or the tie-in material is really, really crappy, but it still carries the name, which kind of weakens the anticipation for the next film in the series like for those... instance national for... lampoon oh, i yes. remember in the late 70s and the early 80s if you saw national lampoon before a movie you were going you know what this is going to have a certain level of quality because they don't just put their name on anything then tim matheson bought the magazine 
and said, the name is now for sale. You can buy the name National Lampoon to stick on your stupid college gross-out comedy. We don't care anymore. And the brand of National Lampoon is now garbage. To go back to Aliens, those recent, like, that Colonial Marines game that totally bombed and sucked, but it had the Alien brand on it. They could have just called that game whatever. When they're done well, they they help because uh, the Alien novels were good, the Alien comic books were good, the Predator comic books were good, and then stuff with, like, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. The Buffy comics were really good. There There is a way to do it right. Oh, and jumping over to the video game thing, there were a bunch of really good Alien and Alien versus Predator video games from like the the, the late 80s and 90s. And it's it's only kind of, I mean, recently where they started to get crappy. And that and the thing with the Colonial Marines, that was a whole debacle where that was fraud. And just and the that week, was fraud. Yeah. Just the week we're recording this, Sega is still able to sue Gearbox over this. Why do you think, say a movie is a really big hit. Now, they still do this today, but this was done way more in the 80s and early, late 80s and early 90s, where, where you, you have an unlikely idea for a franchise. For instance, Ferris Bueller's Day Off comes out. It's a hit. Everybody likes it. Critics like it. Makes a ton of money. And then ABC goes, you know what? Let's completely change everything about Ferris Bueller, and let's make it into a TV show that we're going to cancel right away. Like, who, what kind of thought process goes into Ferris Bueller's Day Off? The premise kind of works as a one-time thing. You can't do that regularly. Um, wasn't that uh, Jennifer Aniston was, uh, yes, was in Jennifer the TV Aniston series? Yes, Jennifer Aniston was in that. And ironically enough, the Ferris Bueller's Day Off ripoff, Parker Lewis Can't Lose, was not only better, but I it lasted longer. Yeah, Parker Lewis Can't Lose was so good. But that worked because like the they they kind of didn't they didn't really go with the whole Ferris Bueller thing because they couldn't because it was its own thing. It was just funnier and it was a little like more silly and uh you know Corin Nemec was very likable. You know, you and could understand why it's part of the Married with Children universe. Right. Cuz Bud Bundy appeared in an episode. Michael Dorn was in an episode, although he wasn't Worf. Well, he wasn't Worf, but but he but I mean, he made, but I mean, David a, he made a Star Trek was, joke. But, hey, but David Faustino the... was Bud Bundy in the episode he appeared in. Oh, that's funny. So it's actually part of the Married with Children franchise. Again, a franchise. Who would have ever thought? Because I mean, and this is long before Friends. You've got Matt LeBlanc as Vinny Verducci. He appeared in three or four episodes, and you know his dad appeared in a couple episodes, and then Fox just was like. Miracle Children is such a hit. We need a spinoff that well, they we don't did. care what. Give us some characters we can give our own show to. And so the quickly canceled Top of the Heap was born. Do you think that is just creative bankruptcy? Can you blame Levitt and Moy for that when it was a Fox edict that we need a spinoff? Vinny and Bobby, too. Vinny and Bobby was, after Top of the Heap wasn't working, after eight episodes, they decided to drop his dad. And then he moved in with his friend Bobby, and then it was retitled Vinny and Bobby for another six episodes. Kind of a spinoff of a spinoff or a retitling of a spinoff. Do you see the creative bankruptcy I'm talking about? They do stretch it a little thin. Sometimes it works. Sometimes you get Aftermash. And sometimes you get that new Walking Dead spinoff set in Florida, set on the first day of the outbreak that they just ordered a pilot for because we can't just have The Walking Dead be a hit. We have to have a franchise of The Walking Dead. 
to the be Walking a hit. Dead already is a franchise. There's the comic and the show based on the com- loosely based I'm talking on the about, comic. I'm talking about the the, the, the TV version. D- does it need a spinoff set in Florida in the past of this continuity? That, that sure. doesn't it seem redundant. Different group of people. I'd be fine with that because of course you would. Well, no, it's it's interesting because that way you know it's it's showing the events that are going on but from a completely different perspective. It's a whole different group of people. I have no problem with that. I'm actually, I think it's pretty With that same logic, with that same logic though, then Cecil, then why is Paranormal Activity, the marked ones, not an actual sequel? I mean, why is that a bad idea then? It's the same concept. Well, I I never said it was a bad idea. It was though. But I never said it was a bad idea, you know? So why why not? Spinoffs work if they happen naturally. Like in the 70s and 80s, when you had some successful spinoffs, like Happy Days gave us some great spinoffs and like Mork and Mindy and Laverne and Shirley, because those were little popular things in the epi- in specific episodes. All were... in the family gave us the Jeffersons. Yeah. Which lasted 12 damn seasons. There were great things within those shows themselves that people liked that they were able to spin off. It wasn't just give us something. We need something to spin off of here. God, there was another one I was going to say. But the ones that failed were the ones that, back to Happy Days, nobody loved Joni and Chachi as it was. That's why that show sucked. Nobody gave a shit about those guys. Well, but then let's go back to Married with Children. Married with Children had four attempts at spinoffs. Fox was desperate to get spinoffs out of this from after Top of the Heap. They had that episode that about all of Kelly's friends moving in together. That was a pilot for a spinoff. They had the episode where Bud Bud hijacked the college radio station. That was supposed to be Bud at college spinoff. They had the they they had the backdoor pilot where Kelly moved out and moved in with one of her modeling friends. That was a spin that was a spinoff pilot for Kelly on her own. They had No Man becoming a religion. That two-parter. That was supposed to be a a backdoor pilot for a No Man spinoff. To me, we need a spinoff, a spinoff, any spinoff just reeks of desperation to me yeah it does and it it does it is desperation but like that walking dead thing uh i would give it a shot because i enjoy the walk i'll give it a shot it can be good i just think it it reeks of trying to squeeze blood out of a stone uh it's not a stone yet it's more like a. it's it's, you can get some juice out of it still petrified wood it's it's like a turnip but then, squeeze it hard enough, you'll get a drop. When Hollywood looks at all of these things that they just keep remaking, and, and I'm not necessarily talking in just straight-out remakes like RoboCop being remade or whatnot. I'm talking about when you remake the same book, story, movie, etc., time after time after time. Like right now, there are four official adaptations of Invasion of the Body Snatchers, and they're making a fifth one. What do you possibly think you can do with a fifth Invasion of the Body Snatchers movie, the fourth remake, that has not been done in the five previous films, the last three of which failed miserably, by the way. Tits everywhere. (laughs) That's something the others didn't have. Yeah, the 78 one, Brooke Adams was naked after she got cloned. Said everywhere. Well, all right. (laughs) Go off my example of Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Does that need to be remade a fourth time? No. Of course it needs to be remade again, because now they can do all the CGI effects. and They, they did that did... in the invasion, and it didn't work. No, I know, but I'm going by their logic. 
you know, they're, oh, well, Invasion didn't work because we didn't have a strong enough ad campaign and nobody was really familiar with who Daniel Craig was at the time and they pushed too hard on Nicole Kidman's star power. So You got Abel Ferrara's Body Snatchers in 93, which did try to go in a different direction with the source material and to a degree it worked, but to a degree it it didn't. To to me, when you you remade Body Snatchers in 78, you're never going to get better than that. I know how arrogant that might sound, but that is such a fantastic movie that totally plays against your expectations. I don't think a modern film can be better than Invasion 78. Say with Invasion 78, Invasion 78 has become the movie where when people talk about Invasion of the Body Snatchers, they're referring to the 78 version. Which is technically a sequel, by the way, because Kevin McCarthy plays his same character in a cameo warning people that they're now spreading here. It was both an in-joke and to kind of make it a sequel. Does that make sense? No. Is there a parody called Invasion of the Panty Snatchers? Because if uh, not, there should be. Th- 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 there is a gay porn <laughs> called Invasion of the Booty Snatchers. No. Does that count? No, pants. <laughs> but, but okay, like, I, I read that they're, they're making Cleopatra into a movie again. Yeah, there's only been a dozen movies about Cleopatra. Like, like every couple of years, or, or like every couple of years, they make another Dracula movie. Because, no, we need another Dracula movie, right? Because you're going to do something different with Dracula, right? It oh, just... what's that new one coming out? Where Dracula, it, it looks all Game of Thronesy, and then Dracula turns into, like, a cloud of bats. It's it takes... Moody Dracula. It's e- Moody Emo Dracula. And he uh, turns into giant bat clouds, and like <laughs> it looks like the blob of bats, and it's like just bats attacking, you know, the Crusaders or something. Well, okay, then what about like, say you're trying to adapt a comic book? You make a movie and it doesn't work, so you try it again, and it doesn't work, and you try it again, and it doesn't work. Like, how many times do you have to fail to make the Punisher properly before you realize? You need to stop trying to make this for a mainstream audience. For instance, the 89 movie came out from New World. Didn't do very well. It was awesome. Then you have the Thomas Jane movie, which ignored the 89 movie. It did all right. It was a terrible flick, but it did all right. Then you had the Ray Stevenson movie, which ignored both of those. So it's like each one of these is a reboot of this character. None of them work. When are you going to get it through your heads this doesn't work. You don't seem to be able to adapt this work. At this point, I don't think they can adapt the Punisher faithfully because Castle can't be a Vietnam vet anymore because those non-vets are in their 60s now. Actually, Thomas Jane wants to make one um, set in the late 70s, early 80s. And I'm, I'm like, yeah, that I'd like to see. He wants to make it a hard R. Disney said, get out. Yeah, because Disney just bought the rights. But that's when he put together... No, not loose change. Dirty laundry. Uh, dirty laundry. He with him and Ron Perlman. Yeah, that that ten minute short was Phenomenal. great. Phenomenal. That ten it, minute like, short was great. They can if they're willing to give the people that are motivated about the character and the source material the chance to adapt it the way they want. But Hollywood has their their blinders to well. This is what was what worked on other movies before, so you need to make it work on this one. Well, well, no, we can't because this is a different thing. You know, and then they give it to the test audiences, and test audiences may not be aware of the source material. Test audiences so. are the worst thing that can ever be done to a film. And it's too Alex, violent. You, Alex, you can speak to this. You've been in test audiences the same as I have. Yeah, I, I was reading when I reviewed the Avengers, the um, the Uma Thurman one. 
the Sean original, Connery in a teddy bear costume. Yeah, the original cut of that movie aired to a test audience of working class Spanish speakers in New Mexico that didn't understand the movie at all. Yes, because, because it was because in I'm English. Sure, I'm sure the reruns of that classic British TV show aired a lot there, right? That and the movie's in a different language than they speak, and the studio used that feedback to cut the movie to ribbons. And the director's like, this was a horrible idea for a test screening. They don't even speak the language. Go back and find on that one website, I can't remember what website it was, but look for the Videodrome test audience cards. They hated it. They despised the movie on every level. And Universal didn't even want to release it after that. They were kind of like, we got a turkey, but we spent too much money on it. Test audiences are the worst thing you can do. Test audiences work for, like, feedback, but not as a, well, we have to do it this way. Like, if you'd written something, you know, you would give it to a friend to read and take their feedback on it. And maybe You've done that to me. This. I've read your yeah. stuff and given you honest criticism. Some you and wanted I, to hear, some you didn't. And I think that that's the purpose of a test audience is – okay, I, I appreciate their criticism, but I'm releasing it as is, or I'm like, you know what, they're right, this doesn't work, let me change that. That did happen one time where I think it benefited the film, and that was Final Destination. The original ending did not go over well with test audiences, so they changed it to the much more awesome ending we ended up with. Now there's a franchise that they're thankfully not bringing back. I no, heard they were talking about rebooting it. God, I'm, oh, Jesus, I, okay, this is what I don't understand. Yes, we're, 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 we're trolling over old territory here, but I don't care. This constant rebooting. Now, this may go against what I said about, like, Easy Rider, The Ride Back. But, like, instead of RoboCop the remake, why didn't you just make RoboCop 4? Because most of the people who went to see the RoboCop remake were over 30 years old. They were not the people, when you reboot something, it's supposed to be to bring it to a new generation. But then when you reboot it and it's only the old generation that goes to see it, why didn't you just make it a canonical fucking sequel then? They work for, as you said, to bring it to another generation. When the Ninja Turtles movie came out recently, Nickelodeon was on in the house, and they kept like every commercial break were running behind-the-scenes interviews and stuff, getting kids really hyped about this movie, which I realized was the exact same thing that got me hyped as a kid for the first Ninja Turtles movie. And but, like, but when you do that for the, for this new generation, shouldn't you do that in a way that does not alienate the original fans as well as illuminates the new ones? Whereas in like the marketing for the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie, it was all basically, we don't care about all you people that grew up with this. We only want the young kids of today. It seemed like it was very tunnel vision in how they wanted to market this movie. At least RoboCop, for as bad as the marketing was, they were trying to say, this is a new RoboCop, but those of you who liked the franchise before might still like it. They were wrong, but they tried. They were wrong, yeah, but like with the Ninja Turtles stuff, I mean, this is not the second generation of Turtles. God, no, they have rebooted Turtles on television several times. It's, you know, each generation has had their own version of Ninja Turtles. So it's basically saying, if you grew up the cartoon, you can have that cartoon. This ain't for you. You know, with RoboCop, they should have just basically said that this is this is not for you. You have your stuff. You keep it, Grandpa. This is for the kids. It's silly with the amount of stuff that's being rebooted, especially when, like you said, uh, they're trying to appeal to the new group, but they're completely shutting out 
the original fans. But I think a lot of times they always say they give a lot of lip service to where, uh, you know, well, we're we're trying to bring in new people. But, uh, you know, we 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 also want to appeal to the uh, the old the original fans. But most of the time they really are just trying to appeal to a completely new demo. And unfortunately, it works a lot of times, like see the new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie where. Uh, everybody was bitching about how I'm not going to go see this movie. It's going to be garbage. It's terrible. Uh, worst thing ever. And yet it was still number one at the box office. So it just goes to show that like no amount of internet bitching is, is going to equate to that being a hit or fail. What about then when, when you want to continue a franchise, but at the same time you want to move it in, you might want to move as far away from that franchise as possible. For instance, Enterprise. You'll notice for the first two seasons on UPN, it was not called Star Trek Enterprise. It was just Enterprise. Go back and watch all of the original ads for before the show came up. Find the print ads. They don't mention Star Trek anywhere. Then you find out that UPN executives were like, well, Star Trek are nerds and are advertising based. The people who are buying ads on this show. The, the people who are going to watch a Star Trek show don't buy these products. So they said they made Enterprise as the Star Trek show that you don't have to be a Star Trek fan to like. That seems to be insulting to both parties, doesn't it? That, that I mean, the first strike that Enterprise had was the fact that it didn't want to be associated with Star Trek. It was so f***ing snobbish like that. Yeah, they shouldn't alienate their fans. You know, if they're trying to get new fans something new it's silly and it shows how dumb and short-sighted they are because here we are how old is is the original star trek now 1967 so 45 oh. years so 45 there. years later there's still con- you know uh conventions and people that are uh making new content you know there's mm-hmm. video games and all kinds of stuff and and spin-offs and yet they don't want to attach themselves to that, that thing that has this massive built-in fan base. They don't want to attach cons- themselves to that. Yeah, how many cons does Archer's dog get invited to? But that's that's the point, <laughs> Cecil. That They want to make this for the audience they don't have. For instance, the DC Comics New 52 reboot. That was partially about trying to reacquaint the rights to Superman, but I won't go into that right now. But it was about DC sales before the New 52 thing was instituted was were stagnant. They weren't bad, but they were not going up. They were leveled off. Every month they were selling the same comics to the same people. Warner Brothers executives thought, why don't we make, you know, because we're going to get the fans of Batman or whatnot anyway. Let's try and make Batman now for the people who aren't reading Batman. That's what the new 52 was. It was, we're rebooting the DC Universe for people who don't read comic books. That, to me, just seems asinine. I'm making this for the audience who doesn't want it. It's I, you and I see how stupid it is, but that's the thing. Kind of like uh, what I talked about with the PG-13 video was they took something like the Expendables and edited it down to PG-13 so they could appeal to an audience that doesn't care. Like nobody... RoboCop was the same way. Like I said, the majority of their audience was over 30. So why'd you make it PG-13 then? Well, because they wanted to get it to, they wanted to have the ability to have it be for the biggest market possible. And then what happened? It did mediocre. 
You know, it was a moderate. And a lot of that is because people went to see it out of curiosity. And uh, and a lot of people were like, oh, it's because the movie leaked, you know, online. And I'm oh, like, actually, wait. Forbes.com did, a, did the math on that. And exactly. they found Improved. that if every single person that downloaded Expendable Street illegally had bought a ticket, it would have only added up to approximately another $10 million, which sounds like a lot. But considering how little money that made, that would not have made Expendables 3 a hit. No, especially when you consider the first two were number one at the box office, and this one opened in fourth place. Another $10 million wasn't going to bump it up to the top spot. Well, then they could rationalize it as the the people that downloaded it then had negative word of mouth for our movie. So other people that would have bought tickets wouldn't have. We might have made 50. Rebooting to get a new audience alienates your current audience because they're following current storylines and wanting to see the way their characters develop. And you're basically hitting the reset button in the middle of a game somebody's playing. That almost literally happened with the new 52 a lot, some of these comics pre-New 52 never got to finish their storylines, then all of a sudden were rebooted with a number one. So you're never going to see what happened in that storyline because it never happened now. That, with I agree with you. That's insulting. With franchises like that that have a very long longevity like that, you know, like comics or long-running TV shows, they usually, you know, space their storylines out to where they've created natural jumping on points for new fans and they you know advertise hey if you if you want to get into this this would be a good time to jump in you know we're starting new story arcs now you don't need the backstory from here on and that's why they stay on so long and get new fans without having to just hit the reset button every time they want to try and get new people do you think that that this is a, a lack of originality or if it is something a little bit deeper that when you adapt a book or a comic or a character or a video game or whatever, there's less chance of failure than if you go with a woolly original idea that may, may strike the cultural zeitgeist, it may not. Do you think it's just easier to, to do this on a financial level? Like, let's take the creativity out of it right now. But the safer bet is to make Dumb and Dumber 3 rather than make a new comedy. The safer bet is to go with what people are familiar with. That's always been the way. I mean, that's why sequels make money. That's why we have a sequel to goddamn everything in the world. That's always the safer bet. It's a financial thing. That's why they do reboots because, hey, people are going to recognize this name and want to see it. So instead of financing something original, let's go with this thing. We're sure to get some money out of it. Because they're they're making sequels to things that are really old, but uh, I mean sometimes there have been cases where a sequel comes you know fairly late after the original ends and being successful, and then kind of sparks a new interest in the uh, the franchise. Uh, I'm not weird because I'm I'm for it and I'm against it. I think that um, we're at the point now where it's just oversaturated. Like if they didn't do it all the time, it would probably be more successful. But now it's just everything is getting sequels and reboots and remakes and this, that, and the other thing. And it's just getting tiresome and it's just flooding the market. And a lot of times a remake or a reboot of something, and then like with the, with the Punisher thing, it won't be successful. So they'll retry it again and then it won't be successful and they'll retry it again. Invasion of the Body Snatchers, we'll just keep doing this until it eventually. Uh, I mean, there was the TV show that they did for uh, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, which actually was really good. So it was way better than the crappy movie. So 
sometimes it works. Most of the time it doesn't. Well, then what about the weirdest one of these, which would be not necessarily, I mean, I'm going to use R-rated examples at first, but they're not the exclusive examples. But when you take something from one genre and move it into a woefully different one, like, hey, let's take this hard R Lloyd Kaufman movie called The Toxic Avenger. Let's make that into a kid's cartoon to teach kids about environmentalism. Badmouthing Toxic Crusaders. I am. Why are, why are you badmouthing Toxic Crusaders? Because the show was terrible. Uh, well, they're lucky that it found cult audience, and, and you know, because and mo- I am sure that the cult audience that it has is trauma fans. Because but, but what that, kind of, but Alex, what kind of thought yeah. process goes into Conan? Hard R, ultra violent, ultra sexual movie. He can be a kids action hero. Rambo. We can use him to fight for American freedom. What the hell kind of thought process is that? We don't get that anymore, though. But, but then you've also got other ones like, you know what? We've got MC Hammer as a rapper. Let's let's have give him his own cartoon. Hammer man! Hammer! Hammer man! Hammer! Whenever there's a crime, some crooks are gonna do time. They all better beware, cause the Hammer Man will be there. Here's how it started a long time ago. The legend of the hammer and how it began to grow. He was given magical shoes from a hip-hop Motown dude. Together they had power. They stood up for what was right. But Gramps was getting old and he couldn't keep up the fight. Right. So Gramps and his granddaughter, they went out on the road Certainly. to find a man they knew could get who was worthy of the load. They met a guy named Stanley, Stanley. who was dancing every night. He helped the kids play every day. His heart was out of sight. So Gramps opened up the bag and took out the magical shoes. He set them on the ground and they soon began to groove. Right. The shoes knew at once they had finally found their man. They hopped right on his feet and he became Hammer Man, Hammer Man, Hammer. Fonzie, you brought up Happy Days earlier. Let's have Fonzie and the gang accidentally create a time machine so they can travel through time with Fonzie and the gang in the cartoon. And then they'll meet the Harlem Globetrotters. Yeah, after they're getting after the Harlem Globetrotters have dealt with Scooby-Doo and have gotten off Gilligan's Island. But you see what I'm saying? Live-action adult, and I don't mean that in a dirty way, but adult-oriented shows, let's make those for kids. 
that's the most bizarre one of these that I can think of. Why don't they do that anymore? Well, that's because they never release R-rated movies anymore. Yeah, thanks to Cecil. MC Hammer had his own show because... Because... I, I don't know. I mean, it, it, it goes along with the, uh, like Alex just said, you know, with, with uh, R-rated stuff, they try to uh, make it appeal to kids. They, you know, Alien versus Predator. You know, you had Alien, you had Predator. They cut it down and they made that PG-13. Terminator, they made PG-13. Die Hard, they made PG-13. Because they're always trying to get that uh, elusive teenage audience to go watch their product. And it's, it's irritating. It doesn't... It, it doesn't really need to be that way because the the majority of the times uh, when they water stuff down like that, it doesn't work. Toxic Crusaders worked because it was such an odd thing, and that's something that was never going to have mainstream success. Really, the, the trauma fans were the ones that liked that and were the ones that uh, kind of kept that going. And to add to like the MC Hammer thing, that was a fad, and that we still have that kind of mindset of we got to cash in on this fad while it's popular. Something like an MC Hammer show back New then. New Kids they, on the Block had their own cartoon for a full season. Yeah, that was never going, to, even when they came up with the idea. They were lucky to even get a season. They didn't even want that, I'm sure. It's like, we just got to make as much money as we can from it while it's popular. I mean, nobody went in to like the news on the block show going, oh, this is going to be on the TV longer than Price is Right. What about when it comes to all of the spin-off stuff, the, 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 the stuff like the novel, novels and the comic books and the action figures and all that? Do you get surprised sometimes what gets those spin-offs and what does not? Like things like maybe an, a universe of a single movie or you know, a movie or two that's maybe a franchise that never gets its own comic book. And then you see, like, all of these these comic books that you go, yes, because the Mass Effect video games need 15 different miniseries for each one of their characters. Right, right. Does it ever surprise you what does and does not get made into the external merchandise? Yeah, there are a lot of very unusual toys that come out that are based off of uh, stuff that really, you know, wouldn't have toys. Like, I mean, look at all the, you know, there's the, the Halloween toys. Now, granted, that's a I lot of them I just saw ads for the Sons of Anarchy toy line because, because. Because, well, but that, uh, that's, that's for a niche. It's for a niche, and, and that's the thing. Kids aren't buying that, even though it is toys. You're going to get people in their 30s that are going to buy that. Because the most likely they're not going to be cheap either. Well, they might be cheaply made, but they're not going to be cheaply, you know, priced. But yeah, there are a lot of very unusual, you know, cartoons and stuff that don't have toys. And yeah, like that, Sons of Anarchy has got a toy line. So I don't know. Sometimes the the left hand doesn't know what the right hand's doing. I think that's kind of something that works for Guardians of the Galaxy because that wasn't a very long running or very popular comic that's in the mainstream. Like, everybody knows who Captain America is. Well, the the, the characters of Guardians of the Galaxy have been around since the early 70s, but yeah. They popped up here and there, yeah. But, like, Guardians of the Galaxy as a brand, that came in, like, the mid-2000s and only lasted a couple years. And they got a movie when there's all these other prime Marvel properties that could have gotten other movies. Then, Then how does this work for you? When you see something, say, say, let's just say The Walking Dead, it's got bad video games, 
you you don't like the say you don't like the comic, you don't like the spin-off novels, the action figures are poorly produced. This is all just a hypothetical. Does that hurt the core for you that like, you know, Alex, I know you did not read the comic first. You got into the TV show. So that's why I'm going to use the TV show as an example. Does all of that dilute the show for you? Or since you started at the TV show, does how different the comics are affect your enjoyment of the show going, oh, wow, I Rick, Rick only has one hand in the show. What? Or in the comic? What? No, it has not diluted how much I like the show. And in fact, having gone and read some of the comic, I like the show better because I went through some of the Walking Dead comic and people are going to hate me, but it, it, the artwork is ugly. I don't hate you for that. I There's a reason I quit reading the book. I mean, I just couldn't bear to look at it. It, it looks sloppy. looks like somebody scribbled it. It, it. I couldn't even read it. I take everything separately. So so easy so so easy rider the ride back won't affect your enjoyment of the cultural impact that easy rider had even though in a way I think it does dilute it it does water it down just by the fact that there should not be an easy rider sequel yeah it, it absolutely doesn't need to exist but it doesn't negate my enjoyment of the original one the classic it raped my childhood no, it didn't. Your your childhood still exists. You know, it, just because something else came out and you don't like it or have the preconceived notion that you're not going to like it doesn't mean that all of a sudden the movie that you've enjoyed for the past 20, 30 years all of a sudden sucks. What about in that case, though, where it's like, you know, George Lucas altering all the Star Wars movies and then refusing to ever re-release the originals because he didn't want you to have them? Isn't is that? Is that a different example? Yeah, it's a different. Because he actually was taking away, obviously not you know the VHS and the laser discs, but saying this new era of DVDs and Blu-rays, you do not get the originals. You don't. That was his stance for the longest time. I keep hearing that we are getting that though. Well, I'm sure with Disney they will. But I'm talking when George Lucas owned it. It was the versions that were on Laserdisc, which were the only widescreen versions at that time. You're never going to see those on DVD because I don't want you to have those. I think that is not raping my childhood, obviously, but forcing forcing the new versions on you over the old, isn't it? Yeah, but again, that's, that's something different entirely. That's George Lucas refusing to own up and, and say that, uh, you know, the, the originals were better. It was like he now saw the new things as the way that he wanted them, the way that he saw them in her, in his mind versus the way that we've all you know come to, to know them over the years. And all the fans wanted was cleaned up prints in stereo of the original trilogy without the job of the hut footage, without all the additional stuff. We just wanted cleaned up prints stereo audio because the, uh, the, the laser disc was still muddy and it was mono. And that, but it was that the was, best you were going to get. But it was the best you were going to get at that point. But it was the best you're going to get. I know because I have them. It, it, it just uh, it it was silly. I guess the the final question for the night would be then: Do you sometimes get overwhelmed when something is merchandised to death? For instance, let's go back to The Walking Dead. How go to Walmart, Target, anywhere? There's the Walking. There's Walking Dead coffee cups. There's Walking Dead T-shirts. Walking Dead comic books. Walking Dead DVDs. Walking Dead posters. Walking Dead action figures, Walking Dead, you know, ads on sodas that do you sometimes just get overwhelmed with how much 
some of this crap as merchandise that you're just like, you know what? I don't want to ever see Walking Dead again at this point. Not so much. I mean, because I, I really don't go out there and encounter that merchandise that much. The only time that that merchandising, you know, overflow gets on my nerves is the Misfits, and that's the only instance. I'm sick of seeing that Misfits logo on everything carried by people who have no idea who the Misfits are. It, it is bad. I mean, they're, they do tend to over-merchandise a lot of things. I have uh, a bunch of stuff that I bought over the years that uh, I'm kind of glad they exist. I'm glad I have a Johnny Mnemonic mug. Uh, I'm glad I have a bunch of Starship Troopers toys. So oh, I still have the original Jurassic Park McDonald's cups. Oh, sweet. I have Care Bears McDonald's glasses. I still have a Star <laughs> Trek The Motion Picture Happy Meal box. Wow. But so I don't know. Stuff does get merchandised to death. I'm with Alex where I do get annoyed where something like the Misfits thing, you got somebody wearing it because it's like, oh, it's a cool ghost face. No, you don't even know what the hell it is. <laughs> Most of those people, if you said the Crimson Ghost, the old cereal, they'd go, mm. he had a cereal? Like, what, was it like peanut butter crunch? And you just go, oh, <sighs> no, cereal with an S. So where can we find Alex being completely, completely over-merchandised and just spread so thin that, that nobody knows what to do with him anymore? Nobody ever wants to see him again. Oh, well, that just hurts me. Well, geekjuicemedia.com. Where can we see Cecil showing it to the man with his latest viral video? That's right, bitches. Goodbadflix.com as well as geekjuicemedia.com. And you can find me at 1201beyond.com and contact the show at 1201beyond at gmail.com. Don't fall for the hype, people. Do not go see another invasion of the body snatchers. It doesn't need to happen.
Intoxicated by thee She Has the slow sensation That he Is levitating with she Beyond production. Visit 1201beyond.com for more great shows.